We're going to be in Revelation 21 and 22 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you want to kind of bookmark those or get those pulled up ahead of time. Thank you, sir. Um, So this is our last Sunday in What's So Great About Jesus. And next Sunday, we're going to talk through what our mission statement as Northwest Community Church, what that looks like. So we're going to be back um, to discussion tables. Um, we're going to have tacos and coffee, so you can be here at 10. You don't have to, you know, clean your breakfast skillet. You could just come on down here, and we'll have breakfast together and talk through that. Um, we'll have an omelet station in the back. I'm just kidding. We don't want to do that. We won't do that. Um, anyway, and so we're going to do that next week. Um, plan on being with us. Tell your friends. Um, but as we talk about who we feel like the Lord has called us to be and what our purpose and role is in this community would love for you guys to be a part of that discussion as we look through Scripture and talk together at tables next week. Um, and then today, this is the second Sunday. I mentioned that earlier. We've got our kids in the room, which we are glad they're here. And at the end, we're going to serve communion. And I'm going to serve it. We're, we're doing this thing. I don't know if you've noticed where we serve each other communion, right? And it's the idea, the reason we do that is because we're the church. Like, it's okay. We can do that. That's who God has called us to be as we follow him and love him is that we get to serve each other. And so that's one of the things we like doing it in this way, where we serve each other. So I'm going to have some kids come up. I've already picked them out. We've already talked about it. They know what to do. But there'll be a station here and here, and then in the back. And so if you're in the middle, we'll have people dismiss you to go either forward or backward, and then just get communion, take it there, and come back to your seat. Sorry for all the logistics, but I'd rather not do it at the end. Sound good? Everybody track? If not, follow the guy in front of you, or girl. All right, let's pray, and we'll get going. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would look up today, that we would consider heaven. We would consider the reality of heaven. We would consider what it means, Lord, that not only are we so well-loved, but that we will actually actually be in your presence. We will actually spend time forever and ever ever and ever with you. And it will be unbelievable, Lord, greater than our wildest imagination. So Lord, I pray that you would remove distractions and we would get a sense to see in scripture what you say about this. Pray that you'd speak through me. And Lord, that you would move in our hearts in a way that only you can move. You are our Father. We're grateful for how you love us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hebrews thirteen fourteen says this. Am I going to be in your way, or should I? Let me, can you see this? Okay. Yes? No? Okay. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Great promise. This isn't it. You'll hear me say that again. This thing that we can see all around us, there's more. There's something coming In this series of What's So Great About Jesus, we've talked about that Jesus offers us life and peace and purpose and power, and that he treats us with dignity and honor, forgiveness, courage. We're given forgiveness and courage, and today we're going to talk about we're given an incredible future with him. John 14, 1 through 3, you've probably heard this. But it's, and hopefully it's underlined in scripture, it says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. 
home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. This was what Christ said to his disciples during the farewell discourse that you find in John right before he went to the cross. And so I want us to consider this together today. And here's the first point. Five points today. This is the first one. It says that what we can now see, what we go outside and see, creation, mountains, beaches, stars, this isn't it. There's more. It's everything that you can see. There's something greater coming. And you'll see as we talk through Scripture that that's promised to us. So the story So I think you all know, but just to make sure we're on the same page, is there's this story that starts in the Garden of Eden, right, with Adam and Eve, and they were with God. They walked with God. They were in fellowship with him. There was no sin in Adam and Eve, and there was no sin, obviously, in God, right? But he didn't want them to robotically follow him. Like, he wanted them to want to be with him, to love him, And to care about him. And so he created an opportunity for them that they could choose between good and evil. In fact, there's a tree in this garden that is the knowledge of good and evil. And he told Adam, never eat from this tree. And the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so the serpent came along. And what did the serpent do? The serpent began to tempt Adam and Eve. And pointed out, hey, you won't won't really die. So that's kind of like, so you know. This is how the serpent still operates. It's just to take the truth and just twist it a little, right? It's not all the way here, something crazy and radical. It's just, if you'll just take a little off, right? And so Eve, in Genesis 3, 6, is convinced by the tempting. Tree's beautiful, fruit looks delicious. She wanted the wisdom that he said it offered, so she took and ate that which she wasn't supposed to do. And she gave some to Adam, guys, and he ate it. And so we, creation falls, and we have to fall, and we get banished from the garden. And because God's without sin, and we're now with sin, and so we're separated by him. But as you continue to read through the Old Testament, you see this heart of redemption that we have this heavenly father that though we're banished from him is trying to make a way for us to come back to him. Found these verses this week, Exodus 25, 8, where God says, I'll make a sanctuary and dwell in their midst. This is his heart for us, to be with us, right? Leviticus, of all places, I call it the uh, graveyard for all Bible reading plans. Leviticus 26, 11, dwelling in your midst, that he, would, he says, I would be dwelling in your midst and walk about you. And then finally in the story, the good news comes in the New Testament, and Christ comes. It says in John 1.14, Jesus came to dwell among us. Now finally God is back with us, although we don't recognize him until he's lived a perfect sinless life and died for us and been crucified for us. But ultimately he becomes our sacrifice, our substitute, capital S on both of those, right? That he has paid and satisfied the laws we talked about in the last couple weeks I love, anytime I can find the gospel in a verse, John 3, 16 is one of those. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 is another one. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, 
so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And that's what happened, right? That's the transaction that took place. And that if we'll trust in him, that we'll get all this stuff I'm gonna talk about today. We'll have this opportunity to be with him forever and ever in heaven. And that's the point, that he wants, the heavenly father wants us to be with him and that there's a day coming where we'll be with him. Now I wanna look, this is what I want to focus on today, Colossians 3, one through three, this call to us. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. It's not hoping or wishing or dreaming. It's the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So I want us today to think, consider, and dream a little, okay? I'm going to give you a timeline that was laid out for me. I read a book called The End by Mark Hitchcock. Mark, Mark Hitchcock is a, is a pastor in Oklahoma. He also happened to go to law school, like give you a little bit of his credentials. He went to DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, and he's written this book called The End. That should be, you shouldn't have to, you could remember that, right? It's about end times theology and all that. It's very... Um, educational, for lack of a better way of saying it, where he presents all kinds of views. There's all kinds of views about how things are going to end based on how people read Scripture. Um, and he does a good job describing each different type of view and then telling you what he thinks and why he thinks, like, this is what I think. So he's a self-proclaimed futurist, premillennial, and he uses a literal method, literal method of interpreting Scripture. If you don't care about that, it's not all that important other than to say there are different views about how the end times will go, and this guy does a really good job of describing. And so what I really want to do today is spend time in Revelation 21 and 22 and talk about what Scripture says about what heaven is like. But before we do that, I want to take the time to talk about how we're going to get there and how the events are going to unfold. Is this little timeline I'm about to go through may not be perfect, but it's pretty on par based on what I read in his book and what I've read in Scripture and so, if you're interested, I just encourage you to get that book. It's called The End by Mark Hitchcock. It's, uh, it'll sit on your bedside at least for a month. It's pretty thick, um, but it's good, and it's a great resource. And so, as I read through Scripture, I've re- Revelation, and as I read through this book, here's kind of a timeline. We're in the current church age right now. In Revelation, that's chapters 1 through 3 that that deals with. In chapters 4 through 19, we go through these other events that include the rapture and then a time after the rapture when 10 kings from around the world come together to govern the world to kind of react to what's happened in the rapture. And in that time, the Antichrist comes to power. Okay, And then a historic peace treaty is signed between essentially the Antichrist, but the forces of the world and Israel. And Israel's kind of lulled into this place of peace and ultimately the battle of Gog and Magog happen, where they come after Israel and the Lord defends them. And then after that time, in what he considers to be the last three and a half years, the Antichrist sets up a world empire that ultimately ends with the battle of Armageddon, where all the forces of the world come together against Christ and all the forces of heaven. And in this part, that Jesus comes with the armies of heaven and decimates the world's greatest military by merely speaking. You can read this in Revelation 20. 
19, 20, 21, and 22. And then it goes on to talk about the thousand-year reign, the millennium. Not the numenium, for you Seinfeld fans, the millennium. Okay? The thousand-year reign. And then there'll be a final judgment, and that's when eternity begins. And today, I want to talk to you about eternity. And I want to talk to you about the future that's promised to us in Scripture. This idea that Jesus said he's going to create a place for us, and when it's ready, he'll come get us, and he'll bring us there. Okay? Paul talked about being caught up to the third heaven and seeing things that no human has seen. John on the island of Patmos was given the revelation that is the last book of the Bible. Right? And he has this experience where he experiences something that's going on in heaven and in eternity right now, separate from earth. In the spring, east from Easter forward, we'll do a series with the city. You guys, how many of you guys remember Explore God? Right? Where it was city wide. We had 300 and something churches all doing the same things for their small groups. We'll do that this spring. But the the subject matter will be based on a book that John Burke, the pastor at Gateway, wrote called Imagine Heaven. And it's called What's After Life? And I'm excited about this series because I think this is a question that everybody wants an answer to. Would you agree? Like, what happens when we die? What's after life? And so, as a part of this book, what he's done, really what this book is about, is that people have had near-death experiences, which means they've coded out, They've stopped breathing, and they leave their body, and they experience something. And it's not 5 or 10 or 15 or 20, but hundreds and thousands of people have had this experience. And if you're interested in that, you can read that book. But know that we'll be talking about that. But I wanted, the reason I'm telling you this is I want to share a video with you. And I'm, because it's Kids Sunday, I've trimmed it down to just a minute. But you'll see more promotional material coming. But I want you to hear a little bit about what these people experience And before I say it, before I show the video, let me say this. Because they've experienced it, it doesn't make it so exactly as they experienced it. Does that make sense? In other words, a good way to think about it is, let's say that on that screen, there's a two-dimensional image, right? Let's say a, a table of people are on that screen, and they're having a meal. And if we plucked one of those people off of that painting and set them on the second row where there's a seat, And they experienced, they heard and saw and could touch, and they're now in a three-dimensional world, right? And they take communion, they taste, they have all of that experience, and then we take them from that seat, and then we put them back up into that painting. We say, okay, now explain to the people in the picture what you just saw. Do you see, to get that idea? It's like I'm trying to explain something in a two-dimensional world with two-dimensional frames of reference to people who only know two dimensions, That's what I believe these people have experienced. They've experienced something beyond what you and I know, and they're trying to say it. And and what's curious to me is as we hear what they have to say and as we read Scripture, we see some parallels. And that's what we're going to talk about in the spring. But I wanted to promote that. I want to to give you a little heads up on that before, but let me get out of your way. And Janet, why don't you show that video real quick? In over a 1,000 of these near-death experiences, it's changed my mind. The colors were beyond anything we could ever experience here. I was seeing a lot of colors that I didn't have prior experience in knowing about. 3,000 shades of red, and I can see them all. 
blind people, when they have a near-death experience, see, they come back saying the same things. How do you put that together? A sense of peace that came down right beside me. An energy that was pure love. Much more real than I feel at this moment or any other time in my life. Scientists postulate there must be at least five dimensions to make sense of some of the things science is discovering. Is it so crazy to think about what comes after this life? Right? Did I turn myself off? Oh, there we go. I never know which one's the mute button. Um, so yeah, today, like I don't know if that's exciting or terrifying or thrilling or just mystery, <laughs> right? But today I want to talk about what Scripture actually says about heaven. Okay, so Revelation 21, verse 1. There's five, and I want to tell you ahead of time, there's five things we can know about Scripture, and I'm going to detail these five things about heaven from Scripture. 21.1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Okay. The present, the first thing we can know is that the present heaven and earth disappear. It talks about this in Scripture many times. Psalm 102, 25, and 26 is a place where it's talked about. Matthew 24, Jesus talks about it. Matthew 24, verse 35, if you want to look that up. 2 Peter 3, 10. And again, there are many others where he talks about there being a new heaven and a new earth and the current heaven and earth being passing away. And then the second point is there's a creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And listen, they're not just new in time. They're superior, like what you just heard, being able to see 3,000 shades of red, right? There's, there's something greater that we're going to step into that's beyond what we know or can imagine. It's a perfect place and it's a perfect environment. You'll see as we read through Scripture today. Here are some conditions of the new heaven and new earth. This will be the third thing that Scripture tells us. There are three things there. There's a holy city, the new Jerusalem. God himself is dwelling with us. And the place is filled with his righteousness, it says in 2 Peter 3.13. And as great as those things are, to kind of help you get your hands and head around what this is like, I want you to think about what will not be, okay, what there'll be no more of. And if you look in 21.1, it says there'll be no more sea, which for those writers in that time represented chaos and disorder and means there'll be no more chaos and no more disorder, right? So no more sea. And then in verse 4, we get a list of no more tears and no more death and no more mourning and no more crying. And no more pain. In verse 6, no more thirst because we'll be satisfied. We will be fully satisfied. We'll not have a thirst for anything else. No more wickedness, it says in verse 8 and 27 of Revelation 21. And verse 22 says there'll be no more temple because God will be with us. We will be in his presence. There'll be no need for a temple. The tenth thing is there's no more night, it says in verse 21, 23 to 25, and 22, 5. No more closed gates. The door is always open. I think that's significant. 
this idea of access into the presence of God, is con- it's at all times. We have that now as believers through the Spirit, but we'll actually, like, physical access. The gates always open. I want to read some passages for you. This is Revelation 21, 22 through 25. And we just to listen and think about the, this reality. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of this world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And then, in the first five verses of Revelation 22... Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And it flowed down the center of Main Street, and on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. Listen, they will see his face And his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Does that sound good? Is that like, that feels good, right? When I read that and when I think about that, and I want you to think and dream just a little bit more with me about this. No more funeral homes. No more hospitals. No more brothels. No more psych wards. No more divorce courts. No more abortion clinics. No more cancer centers. No cancer. No AIDS. No rape. No murder. No terrible phone calls in the middle of the night. No accidents. No insurance. No offense. No doctors. Again, no offense. No shortages of anything. No famines. No hurricanes, no tornadoes, no more bad habits, no more decay, no more decline, and, and no more saying goodbye to anybody that you love. I mean, yeah, amen, right? It could, it does, I mean, that's it. That's all I have to say. You guys have a good day. All right, the fourth thing that we'll find in heaven is this. There'll be a capital of the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and it's described as this massive cube, okay, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high, okay? Think about that. That's Miami to Maine to Minneapolis to Houston and back to Miami. That's the length and width and then 1,500 miles high. This will be the dwelling place of God. I mentioned it has these gates Each one, it says, is a single pearl, these massive gates, right, that are in this massive wall. It's 216 feet thick and made of jasper, clear jasper, it says in Scripture. And those gates are always open. The gates are named, listen, after the 12 tribes. What are the 12 tribes? They're Joseph's brothers. Like, do do you remember the story about Joseph? Were they particularly great guys? Right? They sold him into slavery. And yet the gates of heaven will be named after them. Does that, does that at all sound like we have a heavenly father who's into the redemption business? 
And there's 12 foundation stones under this wall. And you should, I just encourage you to go back and read this this week. But those, each layer is named for one of the 12 apostles. So here you have these 12 gates and these 12 foundation stones. And it's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's Jews and Christians. And it's everything scripture says that God drawing all people together in his place. There'll be a street of gold so clear you can see right through it. A river of life, which we read about. A tree of life. And here's the fifth thing I want to share with you. Scripture says is there will be citizens in the new heaven and new earth. And those citizens will be God himself and Jesus Christ and angels and believers of all ages. That, that's who will be there. So it sounds good, right? Anybody disappointed yet? Okay, well, let me tell you how we get from here to there. And this is just... Man, you could have a lot better explanation than this, but I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and talk about how we leave our earthly bodies and how we move into our heavenly bodies for just a minute. It says this. It says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. Anyone? Amen? We grow weary in our present bodies? Just me. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on our heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. And while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies. So that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Love that. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he's given us his spirit. Here's what we believe. We die, we're transformed. There will be a group of people who are believers in Jesus Christ, and when he comes back again, they will be taken from earth to meet him in heaven, and in that process, in the blink of an eye, they will be transformed. How's that work? I don't know. I've never seen it before, but this is what his scripture says is going to happen. And those of us who die before he comes back, I just signed up for that, by the way. I said that, didn't I? Well, whatever. We will be transformed and taken into his presence. Much of what I think we heard from the people who've had these experiences that we're going to talk about after Easter as a city, right? But the point is we get transformed. We're given a heavenly body that lasts forever in this place that was designed forever. And these stories that we hear about seem to just confirm what Scripture's saying, Right? And the thing is, is that we have his spirit, and we won't ever be in a place where we're spirits without bodies. And if you read the end of Romans chapter 8, and it talks about that we're never separated from his love, and there's so many other scriptures that talk about how we're always in his presence. And so here's what I want to say. We have this heavenly father who loves us, who's preparing a place for us. Right? I, I like to think about it like this from John 14. I'll go prepare a place for you, and when it's ready, I'll come and get you. He's been working on it for 2,000 years. It's probably incredible. It is incredible, right? So we have this great future. So what do we do while we're here right now? Number one, don't forget. On the days when things are hard, on the day when the struggle seems like it's too much, when the challenge is greater than you want it to be, remember that this is coming. No matter what happens between here and there, this is coming. Because these aren't my words, these are his words, right? And he's proven 
Like that's the one thing about prophecy. We can look back and see the prophecy that has been fulfilled by Christ, over a hundred, by the way, and not a one undone. Everything that they said seven and eight hundred years before Christ was born actually came to be. So now we look at this prophecy about what's to come, and we can have a pretty high level of confidence that the guy who hasn't missed yet won't miss again, right? Or won't ever miss. So we don't forget about it, and we share it with others when we're given the opportunity that we have this great hope. Remember, we call it good news, right? That's what we get to share. We have this good news and this great hope. So I want to, if you look on down in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I just want to read a few verses to help kind of frame what's our point and what we're supposed to be doing. And it's this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So there it is. That's what we're supposed to do. And then listen, so we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and when we plead, come back to God. Friends, we've been reconciled to him. He did this. We didn't do it, right? You've, I know you've heard that before, but if you haven't heard it before, hear it today. It's what he's done. We get to go be with him in this place called heaven because of what he's done for us. Right, And then he's reconciled us and then given us the task to reconcile others, which simply means to love people in a way. And they ask, like, why do you have peace? Why, why are you not as anxious as I am? Why do you, that we would just tell them this good news. Hey, heaven's coming. It's incredible. Let, look, let's look at the, end of your, the back of your Bible. Let me show you what's about to happen. Right, That we just say that. And I love this phrase, so we are his ambassadors. Listen, each and every one of you, and me included, the Lord has made us in a way that there's somebody that you can talk to that nobody else on the planet can talk to. Because you're his ambassador. He's got a point for each and every one of you. He's got something for you to do. Right? And it doesn't say, so get all your stuff together and take the class and run the obstacle course and when you're spiritually fit, then you could be one of my ambassadors. Do you see that in there? It just says, so we are his ambassadors. It means the minute we come to faith in Christ, we're ready to be used by him. Where he places us. And we have the opportunity to share this great future that we have in Christ with other people. That's good news. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And so today, here's what I want to do. I want to celebrate that with you, right? Like the Lord told us on the night, he told his disciples, and it's recorded for us in Scripture, that on the night that he died, that he's, you know, he's talking to us, and he says, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I've done for you. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to celebrate. And you've heard me say this before, but we're going to celebrate not only what he did for us and that he made us right with him, but also that we have this incredible future we've talked about today, right? And that we remember what he's done and we remember what he promised and we remember what we have coming. And so as you take communion, as we spend time like 
worshiping Jay and, and Jay, come on up, and they're going to lead us. Um, but I want you to think about as we sing these songs what he's done for you. And because of what he's done for you, what we get to do together, what we'll experience forever and ever.